The Across Her Table podcast is constantly trying to tell stories that inspire. If you like what we are doing, could you please consider subscribing to us? We're a small indie podcast and small gestures of support from you can go a really long way for us. And while you're at it, do you mind giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts? When you recommend us to a friend, it helps us build stronger networks and reach more people. We can impact change simply by spreading the word. So share the joy. This is Mifra Abid, and you're listening to Across Her Table, a podcast where we talk to amazing Canadian women with immigrant roots and how they're shaping the social narrative in this country. Join me as we talk to change makers from across Canada and listen to their remarkable stories. This is going to be one sweet episode. The Great Canadian Baking Show on CBC has started its season four, and it's already creating a lot of excitement with all their delectable bakes. And I found a connection with one of its contestants. Rafikat Oyawaye Salami is a Milton, Ontario resident. We sat down, virtually of course, and talked about so many things, from her experience as a newcomer to Canada, to her Nigerian heritage, and of course, the defining moments in that iconic tent. We bonded over food, and she informed me about so many aspects of Nigerian culture and cuisine that I had absolutely no idea about. It was such a fun episode to do, and I'm sure you will agree too. Rafikat, let's talk about the town of Milton, Ontario first. Your hometown. Okay. Yes. I I just discovered uh, that we have a common connection, that we both landed in Canada in November 2017 and made Milton our first home. So talk to us about your experience here. Um, uh, like I, I said, um, when we both, we found out both of us landed in um, Milton in November 2017, it, was, it wasn't mostly out of choice. It was just the first place we happened to find um, a place to stay. And lots of people, when we told them when Milton are like, why Milton? It's so far away. It's so small. But then <laughs> it's, we've grown to really love it. You know, it has the small town feel, but it still has enough of the amenities and everything to keep you here without necessarily having to go out to look for anything. Um, I love the the sense of community that you can feel here. Everybody looks out for each other and it's a very friendly town. I really, really love living in Milton. I have to say, I did move out to Kitchener three months ago, but I will always think of Milton as my hometown in Canada. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, whenever I come visiting and I often visit, I always have this feeling of homecoming. You right. Know what I, <laughs> I understand that. It's like... <laughs> You come off the 401 and like, okay, I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, you know, it's it's highly unlikely that you will be in one place for your entire stay in Canada. You move around a lot. Um, so I think it makes sense that where you land first and where you first make your home is where you consider your hometown in Canada. Rafikat, let's talk about your baking journey. You are a techie, a software engineer turned data analyst. And all I'm thinking is... How does that lead someone to the Great Canadian Baking Show? Um, it's it's basically just a, a love of baking that I I had the chance to take further. So um, 
growing up in Nigeria, my mom used to bake a lot. She used to bake and cook a lot, and she involved my immediate younger sister and I uh, in the in the process. And we really got to enjoy, especially eating what we baked afterwards. But then time and life and circumstances kind of put a stop to that, and we didn't used to bake so often. Um, but then I went to the UK for a master's degree in 2008 and I was in this, it's the, like the equivalent of maybe a dollar store, but slightly, mm-hmm. this have slightly more variety. And I bought a, a small hand mixer and I bought a bowl and I went back to my room, my dorm and I kind of forgot about it. And then the next day I was like, oh, I bought this thing. Let me see what I have in the fridge. And I had one lemon, I had two eggs, I had some butter and I had flour from something else. So I decided to make a lemon cake because I know my mom loves lemon cake. And I I just, I was feeling kind of homesick and I was like, I want to make lemon cake. And I made the tiniest, flattest lemon cake you've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) But it was so good, you know, it was fluffy, it was light, it was lemony, and I was hooked. I said, yes, I could get used to this. So I started baking. That was like the the first memory I have of baking on my own. And then I I kept at it. I was baking regularly. I only spent one year in the UK. I went back to Nigeria, but I took my mixer with me. I took my (laughs) single tin with me and I was always (laughs) baking stuff. At home, we had a gas oven, which Mm -hmm. has the tendency to burn things at the bottom. Um, But then I didn't give up. I kept, I used it like that. And then one day my dad bought this microwave that had like an actual convection oven feature and that was the end. I was baking all the time. <laughs> My sister and I were constantly looking for things to bake. Uh, at some point after that, in 2013, I got married and I moved to my husband's place. And I started buying a tin here. My sister also went to school in the UK. So every time she was coming on holiday, I would give her a list of one or two things to get for me. Help me buy this shape of tin. Help me buy... Um, a set of piping bags, a set of piping tips. She bought, she helped, she was like instrumental in getting me into the more uh, advanced aspects of baking. Because usually what I was doing before was just baking plain cakes for us to have with tea. But then mm-hmm. she used to help me buy the equipment and then eventually I started decorating. And oh my God, you should have seen my first decorated cakes. <laughs> they were a hot mess, a travesty, <laughs> a disaster. <laughs> but I, I never I never stopped. You know, I, I really enjoyed it, even though I'm not really creative. I wouldn't say I'm creative. I, I can base something off somebody else's idea, but it's hard for me to come up with my own ideas. I'm more of the execution rather than the creating type. If it makes you feel any better, I would take a good tasting cake over a good looking one any single day. (laughs) (laughs) I used to think like that and I used to get really defensive when my mom would try to correct me and say, yeah, it tastes nice, but it doesn't. I'd be like, it's more important for it to taste good. But now I realize that it's actually (laughs) important for it to actually look good because you eat with your eyes first, right? And if your cake doesn't look Mm -hmm. inviting people will automatically assume it doesn't taste good. But if it looks beautiful, Mm -hmm. they want to have a piece. She was like, we know your cake tastes nice. We've tasted it, but it has to also look appealing. And I see the importance of that now. So sorry, mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
<laughs> Coming back to the show, were there any memorable moments that really stand out to you? Oh wow, there were so 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 many. It was an amazing experience. The first thing was being in the same place as nine other people who are as obsessed with baking as I am. You know, it that was mm-hmm. the biggest thing. It was so nice because usually I I when I when I think about baking, I'm trying to work through a baking problem I have or I'm thinking about a new idea. I really don't have anyone I can run it by. My younger sister she likes to bake as well but not necessarily on the same scale as i do she, um she enjoys it mm-hmm. but um she i don't think she's she she goes into it as deeply as i do and she's 6 hours ahead so there's that time difference by the time i'm she's available to talk i've moved on to something else you know so having these <laughs> people that i could basically just geek out over baking together was one of the highlights of the entire experience um the other thing was finally getting to be in that iconic tent you know meeting the judges the crew mm-hmm. the um everyone behind the scenes that work so hard to keep us safe in these strange times the whole experience the whole experience was amazing yeah you mentioned about you know these strange times and i was really curious how did they go about shooting in the pandemic um okay so the first thing was that we were in a kind of bubble we all stayed um in the same we stayed in the same hotel for the whole duration of the filming we were tested regularly every three days um we had mm-hmm. um temperature checks and blood um oxygen level checks every morning before we were allowed to go onto sets we always wore some kind of face covering we had masks and face shields except when we were on camera as soon as we got off camera we had our face shields and masks back on um we kept the 6 foot distance they were they were almost comically serious mm-hmm. about the 6 feet we would be walking and you'd hear somebody 6 feet <laughs> so they they really put in a lot of effort to make sure that we were we all kept safe and that everything was able to proceed smoothly uh-huh. you know rafika when the first episode was aired uh it was valentine's day and my family and I just sat around the TV cheering for you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and my, my kids were like, which one is the Milton one? And I pointed out that is Rafika. Mm. Okay, go Rafika, <laughs> go Rafika. <laughs> that was so nice. Thank you. <laughs> and you were phenomenal. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not just talking about your cakes, which in themselves were quite amazing, but... There was this moment when a fellow contestant was having a breakdown and you just left your station and rushed to help him with his cake. So what was going on in your head back then? Um, I don't know how to put it, really. Everyone is talking about that moment. But if you watch other seasons of the show and like the British one or even earlier seasons of the Canadian one, that's what, that's what you do on that show. If someone else is having a problem, we're all there for the love of baking, you know. And if someone is having an issue and you can help, you will. You you go and help. That's all I thought. I was my my cake was ready. I had a little bit of time to spare, and he was in distress. So I, I the only thing that came to my mind was how can I help? How can I help him get back on track so he can proceed on his own? Which is what anyone would have done if they if they could. 
my kids were like, why is she leaving her station? <laughs> <laughs> she's like oh, she has to think about her own cake and I was like okay here's a lesson <laughs> so that was great TV you know because um, the teachable moments for the kids as well uh, okay I'm glad <laughs> Rafik if you are from Nigeria and mm-hmm. our podcast celebrates the roots of all our guests. So tell us about your roots. What is it like being from Nigeria? Being from Nigeria, it is an experience like no other. Because Nigeria is a beautiful, blessed, very diverse country. There are about 250 different distinct tribes of people with their own distinct language, their own distinct culture, their own distinct way of life. And we all live together, work together, and everybody just strives to be the best they can be. I don't know if you caught an article a few years ago where it said Nigerians are the happiest people on earth, despite having numerous challenges, systemic challenges that we have to work through all the time. Nigerians still manage to stay positive and happy and hardworking, you know. Um, It's an amazing country. I really love the experience of being Nigerian. It's unique and beautiful in a way that it's hard to explain. Rafika, what is Nigerian cuisine like? I'm afraid I have never quite explored it and I'm really keen to know. Um, okay, because, you know, like I said earlier, there's so many cultures. I don't think there's really any such thing as Nigerian cuisine. There mm-hmm. are a few dishes that are common that everyone knows and everyone eats, but they are so different. Each, each culture and each tribe has food that is really, really, really so different, you know? Um, there are some that you would not be able to identify just by looking at. You have to have someone tell you what they are. Um, so for me, I would say, okay, Nigeria, I can talk about my own culture. I'm Yoruba, um, by ethnicity, but then the general Nigerian food that any Nigerian anywhere will recognize, uh, the, the most popular one is jollof rice. I'm sure you've heard of jollof rice. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And the great jollof wars, uh, every West African country is claiming that they have the best jollof rice. (laughs) But we all know Nigeria's jollof rice is the best jollof rice. I'm sorry. <laughs> Actually, I should be the one sorry because I had no idea jollof rice was from Nigeria. It's not from Nigeria. It's common all across West Africa. But we all have our different takes on it and different ways of making it. And we have all universally agreed in Nigeria that ours is the best. <laughs> <laughs> so it's easy to think it comes from Nigeria, but it does not. It actually originates in Senegal. Mm-hmm. And somehow we have decided that we make it better than the inventors <laughs> of the dish. <laughs> so, is there any one ingredient that all the tribes use? Hmm. I would say chilies. Mm-hmm. In different ways, chilies in different ways and to different to different extents. So, my tribe Yoruba people are widely. Um, known for being huge fans of spicy food (laughs) so uh, yeah (laughs) and maybe to uh maybe i would say 75 percent of the country uses palm oil 
which is a red oil gotten from palm nut tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, rice is very common mm-hmm. all over Nigeria. Everybody eats rice. Mm. Yeah. I think um, with Indian cuisine, I think it would be turmeric. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when in doubt, use turmeric. Just turmeric. <laughs> and chilies, of course. <laughs> Everybody knows how hot Indian food can get. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When I when I'm feeling like I want something homey to eat and I don't want to cook it and I want to eat something a bit different, I tend to gravitate towards Indian food because I know I can tell them I want it spicy and I get it spicy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually an embarrassment to Indian food lovers because I can't take too much spice. <laughs> actually, me too. Me too. I'm an embarrassment to Yoruba people because... If you if somebody that doesn't eat a lot of spice were to eat my spice level, they would probably complain. But generally, my spice level is very very tame compared to compared to a typical Yoruba person. <laughs> that that's so funny that you way you say it because uh, tolerance to spice is such a relative term. Uh, like, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. what is mild for me, I give it to uh, someone in Canada and there's like, oh, this is so spicy. I'm like, are you kidding? Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, that doesn't even begin spiciness. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I remember when I went, when I went home last year after I had my son, I was home for a month and for like the first week I spent his complaining. I was like, this food is too spicy. I can't take it. <laughs> But then I got I got used to it and it was it was fine again. But I hadn't had food that spicy in quite a while, so it was <laughs> I was constantly leaking from my nose and my eyes. Like, <laughs> oh my god, this is torture. <laughs> Rafika said that there's no distinct Nigerian cuisine as such. And someone who's always lived in Canada might find that odd. Because from coast to coast, there's a national affection for something, say, like poutine. But for someone like me, who's come from India, I totally understand what she's saying. Because even India has all these different states and regions and ethnicities. And it can get really annoying when all these different cuisines are clubbed into one single curry culture. Like the food from South India is poles apart from the food in North India. And not many people even know that. So, um, is there any place in the GTA or around the GTA where I can find authentic Nigerian food to try? Um, I don't think, off the top of my head, I don't know if there are any restaurants, but there are quite a number of home kitchens. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of any at the moment. I'm just drawing a blank. Or I could just come visit you sometimes. <laughs> you could just come visit. That is even easier. That's even easier. I'll make you some of that famous jollof rice and then you can just agree with me that it is the best. (laughs) So I'm going to hold you to that because, okay, now I really want my vaccine. (laughs) So um, does Nigerian food entail a lot of baking or was that something you just picked on in, you know, when you were in uh, UK or, you know, from the Western influences? Um, it it doesn't really uh, entail a lot of baking, actually. It doesn't even really entail a lot of desserts as such. We don't have like 
a set dessert, like how you'd have a chocolate cake or how you'd have um, eclairs or something like that. We have a few sweet snack pastries, but Mm -hmm. there's no real desserts or baking culture in Nigeria as such. It's mostly due to Western influences and modernization that people now, that, that makes people now start baking. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting because I learned baking on my own when I think I was 30. No, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, I didn't have an oven either. <laughs> it, it's not a big part of uh, Indian cuisine either. So, Mm-mm. yeah. Yeah, but I, I can never go on the, any show like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think, I I wasn't going to, to be quite honest. My sister, when I when we arrived in Canada, my sister found out there was a Canadian version and she said, apply. And I was like, I'm not applying. And she kept going on and on about it. So I went to the website and I was like, the applications have closed. So that's it. She was like, apply anyway. And I did. I put an application and I just forgot about it. And then the next year in 2018, 2019 mm. 2019 yeah 2019 they called me and they said we got your application last year and would like to ask you a few questions and i was like oh, are you being serious oh my so God. <laughs> i spoke with them and they invited me for an audition and i actually went to the audition and i baked there and they called me about a month later and said we wanted to be on the show and i could not believe it up until the point when i got that call i was so sure i was not going to be on the show i was like I am not at the level they are looking for. I'm not what they're looking for on the show. And then they said I could be on the show. But then I was pregnant with my son and the time of filming coincided with the time of, around the time of my um, EDD. So I couldn't go. And then my sister said in 2020, apply again. I was like, I'm not applying. And she just kept going on about it. And my husband also said, why don't you just apply again? You got on the first time. Maybe you will get on again. And I was like, okay. And I did apply and it was different this time. Of course, because of the pandemic, there was no in-person audition. We had to do an audition over Zoom and we had to bake something for them to see. We baked something live with them watching. And then we had something that we baked earlier to show them. And a few weeks later, I got another call saying I could be on the show this time. And I was over the moon and because this time I could go, you know, and up until the time I actually arrived at the hotel, I was like, this isn't real. This isn't happening. And then I got to the hotel and then up until the time I got into the tent, I was like, this isn't real. This isn't happening. And it happened. It was actually happening. (laughs) So I think what we should tell our listeners is that whenever you feel you're too far from your life goal, ask yourself, what would Rafik could do? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or oh, what would Rafika's sister tell her to do <laughs> we should probably get your sister on the show too yeah. um, and also I would just like to acknowledge my husband's part in the whole thing because if it wasn't for him this whole experience would not have happened he gladly took on the care of um, our two children even like at the point where I was going, my daughter was starting grade one. He took care of packing her lunches, making sure she was at school on time, giving them bath, making sure they were well fed. We talked every day. I could not have done it without that key piece of support. All the baking in the world would not have helped me if he was not willing to take that on for me. And I would just really like to acknowledge that. 
Oh, that is so sweet of him. That is so amazing, actually. A lot of people say behind every successful man is a successful woman. But I think it's the reverse is equally true. It really takes two because, and yes, I so yes, hear you is, on that. And I, I believe a lot of women who are listening to this are thinking, yes, because you need someone to hold down the fort when you want to go and explore and conquer stuff outside. Yes, yes. He has always been so supportive. I have a mixer, a large capacity mixer, and he found it on sale and I was like, I can't afford it. And he was like, okay, no worries. Let's pay for it. Let's split it. You know, that's an example of how supportive he has been with the whole baking thing. He's like, he's so supportive. Sometimes he goes out and he sees something and would you like this? Do you think this can be useful? Uh, maybe a place for taking pictures or something. And I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> he has been amazing throughout the whole thing. <laughs> what is your husband's name? Taufik. Taufik. Okay, so here's yes. all of Milton saying thank you to Taufik. <laughs> so I think a lot of a lot of people in Canada go to thank Taufik because, you know, how would we have Rafika if Taufik did not hold the phone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's what really love is. It's, you know, not necessarily just the flowers and the cards, but, you know, just saying, I got your back. The supports. Yes, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Rafikat, last question. Um, what is next for Rafikat? You, what do you plan to do now now that you have been on the baking show? What is what more can we expect from you? Um, but the baking show has really, it has really opened up my eyes. You know, it has really brought out something in me. Before I went on the baking show, if somebody showed me a cake design, I'd be like, oh, I can't do that. There's no way I can't do that. <laughs> but now I'm willing to try anything, you know, and not just not just cakes. I'm willing to try to bake anything. There's mm. no bake that I see as too difficult to try, you know. So I'm just going to keep, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep baking and see where it takes me. That's, I love it. And this experience has really opened up my eyes and my mind makes me want to try more. So just, you're going to, you're going to see lots more baked things from me, basically. So again, I can't wait for the pandemic to get over. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I can't. I can't wait to, I have so many people I want to bake for and show things. was Rafikat Oyawaye Salami from the great Canadian baking show on CBC Gem. And you should know that we at Across Our Table are definitely rooting for her. Our podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and basically wherever you get your podcasts from. We are, of course, also available on our website, acrosshertable.com. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us, folks. 